We're going to jump in. We have been in a series called What Would Jesus Undo? What Would Jesus Undo? What are the things that Jesus would pick apart when we read his life and his stories? What are the things that kind of frustrated Jesus that he, he said, this is not the way it's supposed to be? And we've been talking about several of those things. So a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we talked about the idea of happiness, that Jesus wanted to actually speak about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the persecuted, blessed are those who grieve. And he was saying that that's where happiness is found in God's kingdom when you experience things, but you still find who God is. Then we talked about the problem with hoarders. Anybody remember the the story of the hoarding and how we kind of hold back the shoes? Remember the shoes? And what the real lesson was not the shoes, it was the generosity of spirit. And then last week we talked about going from half living to being fully alive. You can get, by the way, you can grab all these on the podcast if you're just starting out today. So you can go, go access that. But today I want to start and I want to talk to you about the power of our eyeballs because they're pretty cool. All right. And I'm not a scientist, so I'm going to do my best to read my script the right way. So if you think about eyeballs, um, dogs actually have two types of cones in their eyes that allow them to see green and blue. And that's, that's kind of the way they see the world. And they just, they just don't know any better than to love you. Now cats on the other hand are evil. We're not going to talk about them today. Humans have Three cones in our eyes that allow us to see RGB, red, green, and blue, and all the spectrum of colors that are made from those. So our rainbow is actually made up of three different colors composed, and Roy G. Bibb, if you remember science well, and I don't. And then, now we're going to get into the cool stuff, because there are butterflies, and butterflies actually have five cones in the way that they see the world. They can see the red, green, blue, but there are also two colors that we actually don't have names for. Isn't that fascinating? Like, did you ever think, like, I used to think, what if the way you see red is the way I see blue, and we just mutually agree that it's red? Like, it's just fascinating to me, and your head's going to explode now. Now, today I want to tell you not about butterflies or humans or dogs. I want to tell you about my new favorite animal in the whole universe, the mantis shrimp. There's a, wow, that's like really enthusiastic. The rest of you, if you don't know, I didn't expect them to know. So it's going to be okay. The mantis shrimp is, um, I think we have a picture of it. It's one of the coolest animals in the world. Go ahead and bring that up. Yes. Fascinating, right? The mantis shrimp gets to be about 12 inches long. It's actually not a shrimp. It's actually from a different species or family. Um, and, and the mantis shrimp doesn't just have two or three or five cones in its eyes. Go ahead to the next picture of it. It's actually got 12 cones in its eyes. So the mantis shrimp, uh, our rainbow, if it's Based on three colors, the mantis shrimp can actually imagine like a 12-color rainbow, what one writer called the thermonuclear display of light and beauty, which I thought was way more powerful than what you guys gave credit for right there. (laughs) So you would expect that the mantis shrimp would be this underwater like rabbi of beauty and grace and walking through the ocean floors just being like, great white, just settle down. Like there's beauty in the world. And you would think that. However... It is not. It is not an underwater rabbi. It is, in fact, one of the deadliest killers in all of the ocean. It has two raptorial appendages, which are so fun. Do you see the clubs at the end of the thing that you're, you're left? See those clubs? Those clubs are actually death sticks, okay? Now, here's the way these work. These clubs will actually fling out and hit the prey that the mantis shrimp is trying to attacks, attack at the caliber of, same caliber as a 22 bullet, that, like a bullet leaving a gun. That's how fast... Now all of you are like, oh, this is cool. I was not with him. Now this is cool. Right. I cut all all the guys. All right. So it hits. Now, here's what happens. If it misses its prey, no problem. Because the force and the speed with which its raptorial appendage death sticks come out actually creates a shockwave in the water that immediately boils the water and kills the prey. Really cool. 
I have a t-shirt. You don't. I'm just saying. <laughs> I found it this week. These murder sticks create those shockwaves, and it actually, if it hits the prey, it dismembers it. The researchers are actually studying the cell structure of the, the mana shrimp to de- develop new body armor. Isn't that awesome? Like it's just, I want that job. I like this job, but I want that job. So the mana shrimp, the way that it should work, if you think about its eyes and these 12 cones in its eyes, what the mana shrimp should be able to see is this thermonuclear beauty, right? All this light and beauty is because it's got four times the capacity we as human, humans have. That the reality is researchers found this is not necessarily true in the way the mana shrimp sees the world. What they've done, they actually, I don't know how, but they trained mana shrimp. They trained a few of them on this study. Like, sit, roll over, kill, kill, kill. I don't know what they did, but they trained them to recognize certain colors. And so what happened is they released them and then they gave them color options. Now, I'm going to try to get this right. When the colors differed by 50 to 100 nanometers, which I guess is how they measure color, the mana shrimp was right in selecting the color that it was familiar with about 80% of the time. So it was doing pretty well. But when the colors got more specific and they differed by less than 25 nanometers, the, the, the mana shrimp dropped to around about 50%, which is kind of like guessing. All right? So what they found is that the capacity of the mana shrimp, now catch this, they have the tools for this incredible potential, but their limitations keep them from actually reaching their potential. That's going to preach today, okay? Are you ready? That's, that's, that's where you were like, where's he going? Now you know. All right, so here's what I think, and I'm going to say this. You've never heard this in a sermon in your life. I guarantee it. I'll bet you $1,000. I think you're a little bit like shrimp. I think you and I are a little bit like shrimp. If you're here and you're human, I know this about you. You have an incredible potential simply because you are a human being. There are things that you have a potential for that no other species on the planet has the potential for. Think about the things that we as humans have come up with, right? We, some human being developed the antibiotic, that if you get sick, you don't die. Isn't that a good thing? Like, that's awesome. You should all be like, amen, but you're all asleep. So antibiotics are good. We have amazing human potential. We have the potential. Someone one time said, I want to walk on that moon. And they did it, Right? Like they went and they did it. Someone said, we should have this thing that connects us all. And I don't, it may have been Al Gore, but the internet, right? It was amazing. We created this thing called the internet that everybody's connected. Someone one time said, you know what? I know this is the edge of Europe because all there is is ocean, but I bet if we got in a boat, we could make it to somewhere else. They didn't know somewhere else, but they did it. There's incredible human potential. And yet I would imagine like the shrimp, your potential often comes up short, Like somebody sat down and wrote the electric slide and thought that was a good idea. Our potential doesn't always put us in a good place. So the shrimp ought to be able to see the thermonuclear bomb of color, but it can't. Do you know, now think about this, do you know what the greatest human potential is that we all possess though? It's our capacity to love. See, the thing that sets us apart from every other species on the planet is the capacity that we have to love. It is the greatest gift you can offer to the world. Think about the power of love. And I feel like there should be a musical dance number breaking out right now. It's not going to happen. But I want to say to you, our greatest potential is the capacity to love because we have the very ability to pour ourselves out for the sake of someone else. Parents, if you have raised a child, you understand nobody voluntarily signs up for that unless it's love. Like no one would subject themselves to that. Right? I love, and therefore I will pour myself out. It's an incredible potential. But here's the thing that I want to say to you today, and it's going to sound strange until we unpack it. I think many of us have placed limitations around our love. So I want to show you what I mean by this. I brought an aquarium, 
today because that's what you do. And I didn't bring real fish. I don't want real fish. I don't need real fish. I don't want your fish, so please don't give them to me after the, the thing. And please don't give my kids a goldfish at Strawberry Festival in a couple weeks. I'm just saying. <laughs> so I brought an aquarium, and I brought Nemo, except it's not Nemo because he's got a real flipper. And I brought, I don't is this a manta ray, stingray? Does anybody know? Okay, I almost understood you. Well, but you know, I don't. I brought the surfer turtle, and I brought the, um, the whale, and the squid or octopus, whichever you want to go with. Um, and that's our aquarium. And now here's the fascinating thing about a mana shrimp. One of the other fascinating things, you can't put a mana shrimp in an aquarium. Because if you put a mana shrimp in that aquarium with real fish, the mana shrimp would unleash its death sticks, kill all of those things, and he would be lonely living in his aquarium. But he wouldn't stay in his aquarium for long because what they found is that unless you buy shatterproof glass, the mana shrimp will actually break through the glass. He gets a little frustrated being kept in tight space. Yeah, you guys were like, this is a dumb sermon. Now you think it's awesome. <laughs> Trust me, okay? So the mana shrimp doesn't live in the aquarium. Now here's what I think. I think we're a little bit like shrimp because I think many of us have chosen to place our love within limits, just like this aquarium. So I want you to think about this. Some of you grew up in a religious setting where all you ever heard about God, all you ever knew about God were the rules. You could love God, but it was all about rules. And God would only love you if you followed the rules. So now, today, it's difficult for you to love without having a clear understanding of what the rules are. I'll love you, but I need to know exactly what the expectations are. If you're clear about expectations, then I'll be okay with offering you my love. Many of us, that's, that's where our love lies. Some of you have loved in the past, but you've loved in, in, in poor ways, in broken ways, in ways that have brought nothing but guilt. And so for you, you can love, but every time you love, there's a sense of dealing with the guilt of those things, dealing with the guilt of the way that love was conducted against you, or love was practiced towards you, or the way you've practiced love. Some of you love, but it's really hard not to love without fear because of the brokenness you've experienced. Maybe when you were a kid, someone walked out on you that was supposed to love you, and so all that that left in your heart is, you know what, I can love, but I can only love to a certain extent because I'm really afraid all the time. Some of you have bypassed the hurt and you said, you know what, I'm going to deal with my hurt. I'm just going to be angry. My love is going to be angry all the time. So I'll, I'll love you, but if you hurt me, you better watch out because I'm worse than a mana shrimp. I have death sticks too, and it's called my love. Some of you can love, but it's hard when you're looking at the people around you that are different. You have preconceived ideas about who people are. It's real easy to, to cast judgment. And you say, well, there's, there's these differences, and so I'll love the things and the people and the situations that feel comfortable with me and the things that are, that are really good and, and normal and the people that are like me, but I can't love beyond the, the differences. Some of us are just cynical all the time. We're kind of like the Eeyore that's on Fox News. Like, uh, you know, life just stinks. It's just headed down. We might as well just deal with the world. Why love anybody? It's all about destruction. If I offended your political views, I'm sorry. You'll be okay. Trust can be a hard thing. We have a limit to our love if we've been hurt. It's a lot like the hurt, a lot like the fear that someone has hurt us along the way. And maybe some of us, you just look at your calendar and you say, I'm too busy to give you love. I've got soccer and choir and band and theater and play practice and all this stuff. And so I would love to love you, but I don't have time for you right now. We'll catch up in 20 years when our kids graduate. Amen? And, and our love functions in this aquarium of limitations. That many times we want to love, we want to love well, but for whatever reason, we found ourselves locked away. So whatever it is, maybe along the line you had hurt, you had something that, someone that betrayed you, some experience that brought brokenness into your life or caused betrayal or distrust or whatever you 
experienced, and it ended up putting the, your love into this aquarium of limitations. And what I want to say to you is I think today Jesus wants to undo the limitations of your love. Jesus wants to undo the limits that you've placed on your love, because if he gave us, if God gave us the gift of love that truly has the power to transform lives and reshape the world and reshape the people around us, I don't think God said, you know what, I want you, I'm going to give you this gift, but I want you to just put it away and keep it in aquarium for a while. So we're going to wrap up this series by looking at this passage we've been spending several weeks in Luke 11, and I want you to understand this is, this is such a fun part of this passage because Jesus has just stepped up to confront the religious leaders. If you've been here, you know that he was like speaking in his parent voice, like, whoa, to you, you got to wake up. These things you're doing are not right. You, you think that you're helping people. You're not. He's confronting all this stuff of the Pharisees, these religious leaders. And where we pick up this story is that there's also a person here who's been listening. And here's what it says, verse 45. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Now, I love this because this is like the kid on the playground who's like, I've been listening to this whole thing, and it kind of hurts my feelings, too. And it's like, well, you're just as much of a punk as this guy is. Like, you've got the same problems. So you've got a Pharisee and a lawyer, right? I feel like they walk into a bar. Let me tell you a joke. This is really what's going on. Jesus has been confronting the Pharisees, and the lawyer steps up. Now, I want you to understand something about the lawyer of this day. See, in our world, we think religious leader, lawyer, two completely separate worlds. Separation of church and state. In this world, this church and state were not separate. They were directly related to each other. So the Pharisees were the religious leaders who were practicing purity. The lawyers were the ones who were studying the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were studying the Torah and saying, well, what do all these laws mean? So in the Torah, there were um, originally 613. Everybody say 613 because that number is important. There were 613 commandments. And the lawyer's job was to study and, and to read all those commandments and think of all the ways that those commandments might be broken spiritually and think about the laws of God. And, and well, if he said this, then did he really mean this? And so what you had was 613 biblical laws from, from God that began to turn into law number one, article A. Law number 400, Article B. Law number 500, Article B, Paragraph 2. And what most scholars believe, some scholars believe that they took those 613 commandments and the lawyers actually turned them into about 6,000 laws. Can you imagine? And that's your job. That's crazy. And this is what's going on. So Jesus confronts the Pharisees and, and, and the lawyer says, you're hurting my feelings. I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. Now, do you notice what the guy's response is? See, it's great because in this moment, to this point, Jesus hasn't spoken to him, but he jumps in. He says, you're, you're stepping on my toes. you got to stop this. So I think we learn this about limitless love. I'm going to give you several principles today of limitless love. That love with limits doesn't like correction. It doesn't like to be corrected. If your love is living in this aquarium of limitations, then your love doesn't always like to be corrected. Now, parents, you, you understand this, right? You, you ever get fed up with your, your teenager? And a common phrase that my daughters will tell you is, in our house is, I don't need you to talk. I need you to listen. <laughs> I don't need an explanation. I understand your rationale is reasonable. I want you to hear my right. Like, there's, there's this sense that we don't like correction. And I'm so glad, aren't you, that we as adults get over that? Like, aren't, aren't you glad that we immediately receive criticism so well, that we are humble and we accept instruction because we know it's a positive influence, especially if our kids call us out and they're right. Like, isn't that awful? Daddy, you did this. No, I didn't. You just go away. Like, that's kind of... 
See, Proverbs 15.32 says this, those who disregard discipline or correction, that's kind of interchangeable throughout Proverbs, despise themselves. See, if you disregard the correction, this is what the writer of Proverbs says, you actually aren't loving yourself. You're actually choosing when someone confronts you, when someone steps up to you and says, hey, I see this in you, and this is not criticism. This is me. I love you. I care about you, and I want to see what God has for you in your life. And when you disregard that, you actually are despising yourself. So this first principle of limitless love is this. Correction is an opportunity. It's not an obstacle. That when we want God to set us free from our limitations to love people, that we say, hey, someone has stepped up to me and actually corrected me, and I understand, and I need to live into that as an opportunity for growth. Can I just say to you, most of you don't have any friends that do this for you. I know that. Most of you don't have any friends in your life who truly will say to you as a Christ follower, someone who's walking beside you, I will help you. I want to help you grow closer to Jesus. What we typically have are friends who will say, you're great. I love you. I believe in you. Go get it. You with me? And we love those friends, and those friends are great. But I'm a little tired of those friends because they've convinced you that you're great and nothing's wrong. And what we need are some friends that say, you're great, God made you great, but you're kind of a jerk, and I'd like to see you grow out of that. We kind of need those friends. See, limitless love sees correction as an opportunity, not an obstacle. It's all you're, oh, Jesus, you're hurting my feelings. Look at what Jesus replies, verse 46. <laughs> I love this because he's like, Oh, and you, experts in the law, woe to you. That's what he says. Woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves won't lift one finger to help them. He says, you've taken 600 laws that God tried to make clear and you've turned them into 6,000. You've put more weight on people than they could ever imagine. And you're putting weight on them and, and, and you won't even help them carry it. And that's the second principle about limitless love. You can be a religious expert and still be really ignorant about love. I hope you recognize that. Some of you have been in church your whole life and you know the Bible maybe better than I do. I bet you know the song with the books of the Bible memorized. Anybody? Or you got the 12 disciples, like you know it, you're ready. And that's great. But you can be a religious expert and be really ignorant about love. I hope you grab onto this because regardless of where you came from or where you're coming from spiritually, whether you've been in church your whole life or, or you're kind of just getting started, I bet you've all, we've all experienced religion without love. Amen? Like, I bet we've all experienced angry preacher guy. Some of you are like, you are angry preacher guy. I'm not really. I'm a really happy person. But I bet we've experienced religion without love. I bet we've had encounters with people that were supposedly experts. They knew about God. They knew all the stuff about God. They could even quote things about God, but there was no love behind it. I, I think I've been guilty of religion without love. I've perpetuated that for the sake of speaking sermons that challenge people. Some of you are like, you love the hard sermons. You love conviction. I don't get that. Like, I've never understood you, but you do. Like, some of you are coming to me, oh, I'm so good. You stepped all over my toes. Way to go. And I got to tell you, as a preacher, that feels fun. Like, okay, I can do more of that. But the, I'll step on your toes all day long. But that's religion without love. And we can't move to that. 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll, we'll come back to this chapter in a couple weeks with the Happy Couples series. But verse 2, it says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, like if I'm a super spiritual guy or girl and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. He says, I'm nothing. I can have all the religious knowledge in the world. I can be Bible expert person. I can, I can be all this stuff. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. 
See, I think you can be an incredibly devout Christian, an incredibly devout religious person. You can leave your capacity for love locked in a box and never experience the limitless love that God calls us to. And there's a third principle that goes right along with this because it's so connected. Limitless love makes life lighter for those around us. Can I just say that to you specifically? When you love limitlessly, people will enjoy life more being around you. That's the reality. Limitless love will let people experience more life in your presence. Did you, did you catch it in Jesus? He says to that lawyer, you have all these laws, all these religious things that, that God never even included in Moses' law. You have all these ways of thinking and assumptions about how God thinks and how God works, and you put them on everybody else around you. You're so happy to share that. But then he, he makes this point. He says, all you've done is add weight to people's lives around you. It's kind of like, you ever moved out of a place and had help moving? Isn't that great? Some of you have never moved. You don't understand the joy of this, right? That it's kind of like you're sitting in the house being like, man, thank you guys so much for coming and moving my stuff. Would you get me a beer? Like that's kind of sitting around watching them do all the work and you're going, I think I want that over there and this over here and this over here. Like, he says, you're adding all this stuff to people's lives and you've not lifted a finger to help them. Isn't it amazing what someone else's love can do in our lives for us? Like, it's the exact opposite of that, isn't it? I mean, it's the very reverse of what Jesus says. I, I would imagine you've all been in places or maybe are in places where you have the worry, the fear, the guilt, the anger. It's so heavy. Shame, whatever those things are, maybe you're there now. But have you ever been in that place and had someone at just the right time, at just the right time, show up and just take a little bit of that weight from you? Have you ever had someone show up and just speak into your life, hey, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere? I got you. I got you. Ever had somebody say that? Just speak those words of life. You, you, you know what doesn't help? Hey, I, you know, I'm your friend. I love you, and I've been seeing what you're going through. I, I thought about it, and I've got some things, like some principles that I think will help you get out of this junk that you're in. Like, I know you're grieving, you're suffering, you got a lot of guilt and all that stuff, but okay, let me just tell you the rules right, and how you broke the rules and what. See, that doesn't help. Someone's stepping in with limitless love saying, I got you. And by the way... This is what scripture said Jesus does, it did for us. First Peter 2, it says this. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, they're speaking about his suffering, right? When he's suffering on the cross, he's being insulted. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And then the next verse, this is so powerful. He himself bore our sins, so he carried our sins. It was like he saw that we couldn't do it, and he picked them up and put them on himself. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, he says this, like the world wants to weigh you down with rules. God saw the rules and he said, they're killing my people. He didn't change the rules, right? That's what a lot of us want to do. Well, there's no rules. God's happy with everything. No, he's not. The sin is sin is sin. But he said, you can't carry these rules by yourself. So he sent his son to take the rules onto himself on the cross. I think you could say this. The power of the gospel, the good news about Jesus equals this. Jesus lived and died with limitless love so our love could be limitless. Don't miss that. See, Jesus loved us limitlessly, not so we could say, isn't it great to be saved? Let's go be good church people and get together once a week and talk about how great it is to be saved. And I don't care about anybody else outside the walls. Let's not worry about loving them. My neighbor's a jerk. I don't want to love him. I just want to go love Jesus. No, he gave us limitless love 
so we could love limitlessly. That's, that's the heart of what it is. I, I want to look at one more passage that I think only magnifies what we're talking about. I think it's a good set of verses to close the series because I think in many ways it, it, it kind of unravels the idea of love that we often have today. And it's completely subversive and countercultural. Listen, what, what Jesus speaks here is political and subversive and countercultural. So here's what he says in Matthew 5. He says, you've heard it was said, and he quotes this, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I just want to say this to you. If that was a biblical verse, that would be an awesome biblical verse, wouldn't it? Like he's quoting something. He says, you've heard this quote, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I could be really good at that. Like I could hate my enemy like crazy. I could hate my enemy to death. That would be awesome. Like, wouldn't that be nice if that was Bible and it was like, hey, man, quote this. Love your neighbor. I, it may be hard. Maybe you're like, but I hate my neighbor. Okay, well, bear with me. Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. But he doesn't say that because here's the reality. That wasn't a law in the Old Testament. The lawyers had said, well, the Old Testament says God told us to love our neighbor. So if we're to love our neighbor, then surely we can hate our enemy. They expanded. You see what I'm doing with this? this? This is what Jesus is saying. And here's what he says in verse 44. But I tell you, I love that. You, you've heard it said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And then verse 47, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So, so consider this. I, how many of you saw the Avengers this week? I went and saw the Avengers. So good. So good. Don't talk about the ending. So good. So good. But here's why I love I'm a comic book fan. I've been a comic book fan. They used to have books, paper, like not movies. They were amazing. And, and in these comic books, what I love about this is the enemy's always really clear. It's always really clear to me who we're supposed to dislike, who we're supposed to hate. That's kind of like easy, low fruit, like we can grab it. Life is not so much like that. Right? Like life is not so. In the comic book movies, you hate the bad guy and you love the 33 superheroes that they've introduced so they can make $33 billion on the next 33 movies. Like we're good to go. They, but you hate the bad guy. Now, I would imagine most of you, most of you don't go through life knowing and naming your arch nemesis. Some of you maybe do, and we can talk later because you've got other issues that we need to talk about. And I want to say this to you. If you do that, if that's your approach to life, like so-and-so is my enemy, I will destroy them. Like whatever that is, this principle is going to be really easy for you. This should be really easy because it's going to be clear. For the rest of you who maybe say, well, my enemies aren't really clear. Who's my enemy? Then I, wanna, I want you to think about this. Can you think of anyone that you would say, I really dislike that person. I really dislike that person. I really have a problem with that. I really hate that person. I really can't stand that person. That person is a sandpaper person. They just, every time I'm around them, they rub me the wrong way. We, we used to use the phrase EGRs, extra grace required. Like, this is just the person that I can't handle, I can't be around. Because what Jesus says in this passage has the power to subvert and revolutionize every individual, family, every city, every government in our world today if we were to truly take it to heart. This is the principle. Limitless love isn't just for your tribe. It's not just for your tribe. See, you may or may not have an arch nemesis, but I bet you have a tribe. In fact, in many ways, this word has become kind of like the buzzword of friendship in our culture. It's my tribe. It's my people. It's my tribe. Like, we, we care about each other. We're there for each other. We got, we got each other's backs. We got all this stuff. It's the people that we hang out with, we love, we share meals with, we share life with, the people in our circle that we love and that love us. And let me say this to you. Love those people. Those people are a gift. 
Love those people ferociously. Share life with them. God gives you friends as a blessing and gift, and I would encourage you to go crazy with love for them. But let me add this. If you're only loving your tribe, you have placed limits on your love. It's going to get real uncomfortable, isn't it? If you have only loved your tribe well, you have placed limitations on your tribe. See, the phrase that calls this, this out to me so clearly is simple. It's in verse 47. Here's what it says. And if you greet only, now let's say this together, your own, together means like out loud, together, okay? Your own people. If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? You're as good as a pagan. <laughs> it's kind of what he says. If you're only loving your own people, can I just ask you, who are your own people? Who are your own people? Who are the people you're trying? And if you're just loving them, what does it look like? You know what I thought this week? I think most of us, and some students, some of you are still there, and that's, that's great. Most of us adults, most of us made it out of middle school, but not most of us didn't make it out of the middle school lunchroom. You know what I mean by that? You remember the middle school lunchroom? Remember how you had to walk in there and try to identify which is the cool table? Which is the table I want to sit at? Which is the table that if I can get there, it's going to define more? I, I want to just say this to you. Much of the hypocrisy and the ineffectiveness in our churches to 